LifeSpring 170, Cookie Dough, and Prayer. Yes, sir. Welcome. How you doing? It's so very good to see you. Let's go. Hi, I'm Steve Webb, and I'm your host, and this is LifeSpring. This is the place where you find out about the message of hope, love, and good news. This is where you find out about Jesus. If you're already a follower of Jesus, that's great. We've got some really good stuff for you today. On today's show, I've got a very special guest whom I had a great conversation with today about prayer what effective prayer looks like. Plus, I've got some exciting news about LifeSpring Media and a new way that we are aiming to minister to you, along with the usual great music and a fun little segment near the end of the show that I'm going to call The Kid's Corner. That's my friend Carrie Crocker. Carrie's been on the show several times as far as her music, and uh, she actually helped me when I got all my tools stolen from my day job. Her husband is a machinist. They own a machine shop back in Texarkana, Texas, and 
They built me a new set of tools and uh, gave me a great price on it, a great uh, workmanship. And so (laughs) there's a special part in my heart for Kerry Crocker for a couple of different reasons. Hey, I'd like to welcome a brand new sponsor to LifeSpring Media. I'm really excited to have these guys partner with us because of the fact that if you have a pet, you are going to save some serious money on his or her medications and also lots of other supplies. It's almost a complete pet store online. I've got a little Shih Tzu named Sparky. Well, this breed is susceptible to ear and eye infections, and the last time that I had to take Sparky into the vet, I had to buy some medications for him. And I pulled the invoice that we got when we uh, had him into the vet. So the medications they gave us for Sparky for his eye infection, okay, tetracycline, they charged me $25.99 for 10 days. If I had known about 1-800-PET-MEDS, I could have got that same, very same medicine for 90 cents. $25.99 at the vets, 90 cents from PetMeds.com, 1-800-PETMEDS.com. They gave us some drops, and those drops, were they charged us $19.12. I could have got those for $8.99 at 1-800-PETMEDS. Now, check it out. If you use the special code LIFE, as in LifeSpring, when you place your order at 1-800-PET-MEDS, you'll get 10% off of their already great prices. Plus, if you order more than $39 worth, you'll get free shipping. And they've got things such as pet food, and they've got leashes and treats and grooming tools and on and on and on. So, like I said, it's practically a complete pet store online. You'll get great savings, fast service, and free shipping when you order over $39. All products are 100% guaranteed. They've got all major brands and prescriptions. I could I could go on and on and on about 1-800-PET-MEDS, but if you've got a pet, you're going to want to check it out. And I really want to thank 1-800-PET-MEDS for coming on board as a partner to LifeSpring Media. Well, let's get right to the interview that I had today with Nancy Guthrie. And then on the other side of the interview, hang tight because there's still lots more to the show. You won't want to miss any of it. Probably the greatest fear of every parent is that one of their children would die before them. As adults, we know that death is a part of life, but to have a child precede a parent seems somehow unnatural. Well, Nancy Guthrie and her husband David have suffered this loss twice. Their daughter, Hope, was born with a rare metabolic disorder called Zellweger syndrome, which is characterized by the reduction or absence of peroxisomes, or those are cell structures that rid the body of toxic substances, in the cells of the liver, kidneys, and brain. There's no treatment and no cure for Zellweger syndrome, and most children with the syndrome live less than six months. Hope lived for about six months and 17 days. Zellweger syndrome is a genetic disorder which both parents need to be carriers of the gene that causes the disease, and as it turns out, both Nancy and David are in this situation. So according to Nancy's website, they took surgical steps to prevent a future pregnancy. Well, despite this, little Gabe was born just a year and a half later, and he too had the disease and lived exactly six months to the day. Nancy Guthrie, her husband David, and their oldest son Matt have experienced the kind of loss that most of us will probably never know, and yet they continue to serve God. During the ordeal with Hope, and then later with Gabe, Nancy allowed God to use her to tell the story of Hope, not just their daughter Hope, but the message of Hope that we talk about here on the LifeSpring Show, the message of Hope, Love, and Good News. There were articles in Time Magazine, USA Today, Today's Christian, and in other places as well. And she's been a guest on the 700 Club and the Michael Card Radio Show, and she does public speaking, and she's written several books that speak to the subject of pain, loss, and suffering, and how we can find a loving, caring, and merciful God in the midst of it. I recently saw an article at Today's Christian Woman that Nancy wrote that was called A Bucket of Cookie Dough and More Lessons on Prayer. And I enjoyed the article so much, I thought that you might like to listen to her words on prayers as well. So I contacted Nancy and I invited her to be on the show. And I'm excited and honored to welcome Nancy Guthrie to the LifeSpring Show. Nancy, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Steve, thanks. I'm glad to be here and glad to interact with you and your listeners today. I love the article. I think what first got my attention was the title of the article, A Bucket of Cookie Dough 
And, and <laughs> know, more that, lessons on that's prayer. My, that's my title, but actually the title they gave it in the magazine was Prayers That Move the Heart of God. Isn't that what we want to do? Or we, we think that we want to do that, don't we? We want to move the heart of God when we pray? Absolutely. I mean, who wants to feel like our prayers are just hitting the ceiling? I think maybe we all have that feeling at some time, but... You know, we want something more authentic than just going through the motions of prayer or just that quick prayer before a meal that almost can sometimes seem ceremonial or token. I mean, we want a sense that we're really talking to God and that we're that He's speaking to us, too. We want to have a conversation with God. So your title was A Bucket of Cookie Dough then, and more lessons on prayer. So so what does cookie dough, a bucket of cookie dough, have to do with prayer? It doesn't seem like it would have much to do with it, does it? But, you know, what that had to do with it for me was, you know, my son, Matt, when he was a little younger, he used to go spend a week or so with my parents. Uh, They'd take him on trips, or he'd go spend a week at their house, and a couple of years ago, he went and spent a week at my parents' house, and he came back and told me about how my mom kept this big bucket of chocolate chip cookie dough that she'd bought at Sam's Club in the refrigerator. Now, the reason my son Matt loved that was not so much that he loved it that my mom made cookies out of it, but what he liked about it was that constant reaching in there and taking out a spoonful of dough. And so... I have visions of my son, Matt, spending the whole week at my mother's house going back and forth to the refrigerator (laughs) eating cookie dough. And when he came home, uh, you know, we have this regular thing about the house where I'd be saying, you know, I'm going to Sam's. Anybody need anything? And over and over again, Matt would say to me, will you get a bucket of cookie dough? Over and over, Mom, get a bucket of cookie dough. And I kept saying no to him, Steve, because... As much as I would have loved to have a bucket of cookie dough in my refrigerator, <laughs> I knew that it wouldn't be good for him, <laughs> right. and it certainly wouldn't be good for me <laughs> to have that cookie dough sitting there ready and available, and I knew I could empty out that thing you know, in, in, in a matter of no time. Sure. And so I kept telling him no, because I knew that that was what was best for the both of us. And then finally that day came where I was at Sam's, and I opened up that door and I looked at that bucket of cookie dough and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do that. You know, it, in a sense, he, he wore me down and his repeated request finally got me to plunk that bucket of cookie dough in the, in the cart. And, you know, what that has to do with prayer is that, you know, I think sometimes, Steve, that we, we have this manner of, if we want to get something from God, that what we need to do is to keep asking him. Mm-hmm. We just ask him over and over again, and though we might not ever say it this way, in a sense what we're trying to do is wear him down, yep. convince him, get him to do what we believe is best. And you know, fortunately, God is a better parent than I am, because mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't necessarily a great idea for me to get that bucket of cookie dough, which I did empty out pretty quickly. <laughs> but you know, God isn't like that. You know, he... He knows what's best for me. Yeah. And so he doesn't respond to my repeated requests that he knows are not what is for my ultimate good. He has my ultimate good in mind. Yes. And so just because I keep asking the same thing, most likely because I'm not listening for him to speak to me about his heart on the matter, that doesn't cause him, I can't wear him down with a repeated request for him to do something that is not for my ultimate good just because I keep on asking. Okay, well, let me ask you then. In Luke 11, it says, keep on asking and it will be given. Keep on looking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Yeah. So, what was Jesus telling us? It seems to be the opposite thing, doesn't it? Yes. You know, I think the key to that is what we're seeking for, what we're knocking to try to get, what we're wanting. You know, when we read that passage, it's almost like we go, okay, great. Yeah, I just got to be persistent. Right. And then God will finally give me that answer that I want. And, uh, you know, I love, it's, it's, the versions of of Jesus saying that are different in the two different Gospels. And in, in one Gospel, it, it's a little bit clearer, just by a small little phrase here, which, which it talks about, keep on asking for the Holy Spirit. Mm. And, you know, that was just a big insight for me, because what Jesus is talking about is that coming to Him, asking God 
for more of God, mm. for more of His Spirit, for more understanding of His Word, for more of His being at work in our lives, more of Him shaping our character. And you know what, Steve? That is a persistent quick prayer that God always says yes to because mm. it is always going to be for our ultimate good. You know, the difference is God knows what we need. And he honors our persistence asking him to give us more of himself, more of what we need most. That's not the same as bringing them our requests that we think we've decided what we need, what's going to be good for us. No, he, he doesn't always respond to our requests for that, even if we're really persistent. Mm. He always responds to the persistent cry of our heart for more of him. You know, that goes very much along with something that I often talk about when I address prayer, and that's that um, the Word says that he will give us the desires of our heart. Yeah. And I think the key there is understanding that he gives us the proper desires if I decide I want the, yeah. the newest and, and greatest uh, you know, toy, whatever it happens to be. The more I get of him, the more I'm going to ask for the right things. The desires Absolutely. of my heart will become more aligned with his. You know, the, the way I hear that, that verse, the way I in most of my life have heard that verse used most often has to do, it's, it's like the verse that the single woman clings to. You know, this woman is waiting for her husband, and so she says, you know, I know that the Bible says that he will give me the desires of my heart. And, you know, the desire of my heart is to have a husband. Right. And so they almost take that as that promise. Because I want this, mm-hmm. then God is going to give it to me. Right. And to me, the hope in that verse is not just that God is going to give me what I want. To me, the hope of that verse is that God is actually going to change what I want. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because you know what, Steve? I don't want the right things. I don't want always want what's best for me. I have wants that are shaped by my culture and by my sinful nature. But that verse gives me so much hope that um, to delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, that as I come to him seeking to find my joy in him, seeking to know him, to make him an integral part of the day in and day out of my life, that I come to him and he is what fills me up. And the more that I do that, yes, he gives me the desires of my heart, but just like you said, it's because he changes the desires of my heart. He replaces my sinful, self-seeking desires with desires for him and desires for the things that are pleasing to him and for more of him. And then he delights in fulfilling them. Yes, he does. And and in one of the translations, I think it's uh, the NIV, it talks about how he will lavish gifts on us. Like you said, he delights, he lavishes good things on us when we are in line with his heart. But, you know, it, it's that getting in line with his that's just a lifelong pursuit, isn't it? Isn't it, though? You know, sure. Just to have him take away from me the things that I tend to chase after that aren't pleasing to him, that aren't in line with what he wants uh, for my ultimate good. Yes, and it is a lifelong process, no doubt. Yeah. In your article, you talk about several different types of prayer, and I thought maybe we yeah. could talk about those because yeah. uh, I think you have some very uh, important points there. The first one that you talk about is secret formula prayer versus seeking prayer. You know, I think we're always looking for a secret formula to get what we want from God, aren't we? You know, like if we pray a certain way or a certain number of times, or maybe if we get enough people praying for the same thing. Mm. I mean, I think we're just always searching for that secret for getting what we want from God. And I think that's different from seeking prayer. You know, secret formula has in mind uh, a specific outcome that we are looking for. Right. Now, that's different from what I would call seeking prayer. And the difference is that seeking prayer is not so much about getting what we want from God, but from getting more of Him. It's, mm-hmm. it's a prayer in which we seek the giver more than the gifts, that we discover that what we want most is whatever it is He wants to give to us. Right. You know, the secret formula maybe says we need to pray the prayer of Jabez, or we, we pray or even the model, we use the, even the model prayer. I mean, sure. it's, these, it's these formulas that we use. Rather than setting those aside to say, okay, God, I know that you want to hear my heart, 
and I want to hear your heart on the matter. And seeking prayer is seeking after the heart of God on what concerns us. Right. And you know, I think, especially in American culture, we, we go with the secret formula prayer or, or just the busy, because of the busyness of our life, we go and we say, okay, God, this is our time together. Let's see. I got five minutes here. I need this and this and this and this and this. Thank you. And don't forget to say in Jesus name. And then we're gone yep. and we don't sit and seek God's heart. It, that's a process that takes time to just come before the Lord and sometimes just be quiet. That's exactly right. And, and we don't do that, especially, I think, in our American culture, but it's... Uh, yeah, you know, another type of prayer I didn't put in the article, but I did one time when I talked on this topic, is that's, that's related to secret formula, is what I would call sentimental, or I'd call it, what's the word? Like, the place I see it most often is on a show like American Idol, where you see all the, the contestants, and they're in the back before they go out there or while the judges are making their decision and you know they they huddle into a prayer and (laughs) it's almost as if they're um they're looking for a good luck charm yes you know using prayer as this kind of good luck charm and and the reason it's different than seeking prayer is they're not necessarily seeking after god Mm -hmm. They're looking for God to bless their efforts. They're looking for any kind of what they might call a positive energy or whatever toward they want. You know, that's not real prayer. Prayer is seeing God for who he is and desiring to understand him and see him for more, as more of who he is, not just coming to him to get him to give us what we want. And, you know, I think when Jabez prayed his prayer, and then later on when Jesus showed the disciples how we should pray— it wasn't the words so much that God was responding to, but it was the heart of the prayer, the person well, who was doing right, the prayer. It, yeah, what a good lesson for us to learn. And why do we have to keep learning that lesson? You know, why haven't we learned that already? Isn't that obvious in the Gospels, that God cares about our hearts, you know, yes. and not those outer formulas that we might seek to use? You ask why do we keep having to relearn that? That that's a whole other show. But you know we're called, we're we're called sheep, aren't we? In the Bible, yeah, we are. Sheep don't well, learn we, very well. In our sinfulness, we just tend toward the formulas, yes. you know, and and because it's somehow it's easier than keeping our hearts soft and engaged toward God. Mm-hmm. But that's where the real blessing is. Yeah, another one of the types of prayers you talked about was superficial prayer versus significant prayer. You know, Steve, sometimes I find out, figure out that, you know, I'm not such a great party guest these days. Uh, You know, being a good guest at a party requires that you uh, be good at chatting, you know, where you go and you stand around with, you know, people you don't know very well and you talk about things that don't really matter and, you know, kind of surface the issues of, you know, maybe what you do for a living or, you know, your latest house project or whatever. Sure. You know, the truth is, I think sometimes we settle for chatting with God. We talk to him about very superficial things. And if you think about the last time you were at a prayer meeting or in a group and they said, open it up for prayer requests. I mean, to me, that you know, the most typical things, people, people, of course, mention physical ailments, you know, and their aunt who you know, has this cancer or or whatever. We ask for safety and travel. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we say, you know, would you ask, you know, God to be with us during whatever it is we're going to do? And, you know, the truth is, Steve, all of those things matter to God. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not making fun of those things. It's not that those things don't matter. Right. But I am saying there are things that matter more. And that if we only pray about, and if we only ask others to pray about those kind of surfacey things in our lives, and we never ask them to pray about the more substantial, deeper issues of life. You know, when was the last time you heard somebody stand up in a prayer meeting and say, I need to, some people to come around and pray for me because I have this bitter spirit <laughs> mm. inside me that's choking the life out of me. Or, you know, I have a sin in my life that's got to get rooted out. Uh, I, I want you to pray that God would use me in the salvation of my sibling or my parents. Um, I want you to pray that God will, that His Holy Spirit would get hold of my child Mm. and bring him into the knowledge of himself. I mean, 
those are what I would call significant prayers, asking God to do a significant spiritual work. Those are eternal prayers. Absolutely. You know, and, and when we think about it, we think, you know, why do we settle for just chatting with God mm. or, or those superficial kind of prayers? I guess in a sense, maybe they were, we just feel a little more comfortable. They help us maintain a spiritual facade right. without revealing in what, you know, the true vacuous state of our lives and our, and our real needs and desires. Maybe they're less risky. But you know what? Boy, if we just go through our whole life settling for praying about only those superficial things, then we never know the thrill and joy of God doing this deep spiritual work in us and in the people around us because those are the things we've committed to prayer. Well, you know, I, I think it, it goes back to the fact that we are just so very busy and, and living at 100 miles an hour all the time that we don't uh, take time to think about, you know, why am I feeling this way? You know, um, I, I feel I feel uh, stressed, so let me take a pill. Um, I, you know, I feel sad, so let me take another kind of a pill. Instead of saying, okay, what's at the root of this? It, it that takes a, an investment of our own time to think about our, you know, where we are spiritually, let alone the people yeah. around us. And you know, I think for me, Steve, sometimes the reason I'm hesitant to pray that way is that I have very small thoughts of God. I think sometimes I'm afraid to expect big things from Him. I mean, I'm afraid sometimes to ask Him for those really significant things. Maybe it's fear of disappointment, but most often it's just small thoughts of him, you know, that I just don't uh, deeply expect him to move in and, and do that work. It's almost like if he did, it, it would scare me and surprise me. Do you think maybe sometimes we we don't think that we deserve big things from God? Not necessarily that we, oh, we don't sure. think that God can do big things because we've read about it in the Bible, but sometimes we think, yeah, well, yeah I don't want to ask him for that. Not, not yeah, for me. You know, which, once again, I suppose is a small thought of him, because sure. what it says is his forgiveness has not been good enough mm-hmm. to cover my weakness and my sin, so that his heart would not be inclined to say yes to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a, just a small thought of God, of his forgiveness, yeah. that it's just not big enough to cover not only the sin actions we commit, but just the sin nature of who we are. But, he, you know, his forgiveness is that big. We don't have to be afraid that we're not good enough for God to say yes to us. He, he is, even right now, at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He yes. knows just what to pray for us. He knows, and fortunately, he fills in in our prayer gaps where we don't know how to pray. He, yes. he is inclined toward us. We can bring anything to him. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? I do, mm. yeah. Talk about showy prayer versus secret prayer. Gosh, you know, I think we have all heard it, and unfortunately, we've all probably done it. And that is that, you know, so much prayer is putting on a show for other people. And obviously, this is nothing new because, you know, Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about, you know, don't pray as the hypocrites do out there for everybody to see them, but instead... Go to a secret place. I think there's lots of ways we do this. Sometimes it is just that we pray flamboyantly in public, or we say things that make people think we're people of deep, persistent, consistent prayer, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps praying more faithfully than is a reality in our lives. I mean, mm-hmm. I think about this sometimes when I say, I'm, I'll pray for you. Yes. And the truth is, see, sometimes when I say it, I know I won't. I mean, I'll forget, you know? And that's using prayer as a spiritual show, to make people think that I am more of a person of prayer than I really am. And the thing about showy prayer, the, the, the sad truth about praying for show, whether it's you know using put-on lofty voices or words or praying loudly or you know always being the dominant person in a circle in prayer or whatever that is that we do, Here's the sad truth about it, Steve, is that Jesus says that as we get the admiration or applause of other people, as they think we're perhaps more prayerful than we are, that's our total reward. We've gotten it all right here, that admiration or whatever, or applause we get from people, that's it. But what I love about what Jesus says is that if we become people of secret prayer, where we're not praying for anybody else's ears, 
but just to the heart of the Father. Nobody knows we're praying. We're not dropping little hints to people about our long prayer time that morning, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Just keeping that prayer secret. Then Jesus says that we will be rewarded, and he talks about it in terms of an ongoing, eternal reward. And that's what we want. We want the kind of prayer that God rewards in an ongoing, eternal way, Uh, not the kind of prayer that just impresses people for a few minutes. Absolutely. But the Word tells us that we should share one another's burdens, that we should pray. Doesn't that imply a public prayer? Oh, certainly it does. Once again, this comes back to a matter of the heart. And you know what? The truth is, when you pray out loud, Steve, I don't necessarily know what your heart is like. I don't know if you're praying to impress me, but God knows. And the truth is, probably you know when you're praying that way. Maybe you don't even want to see that about yourself, because I know I don't like to see that about me yeah. uh, at times when I pray. And um, But the truth is, God knows when our motives are more about impressing people than about connecting with Him and speaking to Him. And You know, when we catch ourselves thinking through how we're going to pray in a way that will make people think a certain thing about us, either that, you know, that we had really good devotions that morning or that we have prayed about this every day for a week or whatever, when when we catch ourselves thinking through what we're getting ready to say out loud and that a part of that is being concerned about what other people are going to think about what we're saying, rather than being concerned about what will God think mm. about what you're saying and expressing right. to Him, right. then we're getting sucked into showy prayer instead of secret prayer. Right. One of the things that you said in your article is, um, whereas showy prayer uses put-on voices, lofty words, and spiritual-sounding phrases, simple prayer is brief, authentic, and humble. And so many yeah. times we think of the great prayers in our churches as the ones that stand up and it seems like they can go on for 45 minutes in I prayer. I know. And, oh, look what at a... Jesus' prayer. <laughs> exactly. Just a few you sentences. Know, his model and that was prayer it. was so short. Yes. And in some ways that doesn't make sense to me. And yet that, he's saying, here's how you pray. And, you know, I guess we don't have to go on and on. Well, again, I think it's because it's it's a matter of us our heart touching his. And yeah. if it's coming from our heart, it doesn't take a lot of words. Yeah, it doesn't. God sees where we're at, and he's not very much impressed by our vocabulary anyway, no matter how good it is. (laughs) Insistent prayer versus submissive prayer. We've talked about that a little bit, but uh, go ahead and talk talk some more about that, the submissive prayer and the insistent prayer. Well, this has been a very significant part of of my life, especially the last nine or ten years of my life, Steve. Um, You mentioned at the top of the show about how my husband and I have experienced the loss of two of our children, a daughter that we had for a brief time named Hope and uh, a son, Gabriel. And, you know, when they were born, the doctors made it very clear that they had a syndrome. It wasn't a sickness or disease that invaded their body. It was, in a sense, the essence of who they are, Mm. Um, that they did not have something that they needed for life. And so to us, it seemed obvious to us very quickly that our prayer should not be focused on asking God to heal her because honestly, she wasn't sick. She was missing something. Just as, you know, like when a child is born with maybe without a heart or without a brain, or if they're born with an extra chromosome and they're born with Down syndrome, we don't find many people who pray for God to take that that extra chromosome away. Right. So there was a sense in us that we sense God saying to us, that, you know, this is who I've created her to be. So rather than throwing ourselves into prayers to ask God to extend her life or to heal our daughter, I felt very clearly, very quickly, that what God was asking me to do was to submit to what he had ordained for Hope's life and for my life, which would mean losing her. And uh, over and over that happened. I mean, just a couple weeks into her life, I remember at the Bible study I went to, we were studying the story of Hagar. Remember how Hagar uh, wanted to get away from Sarah, who was treating her cruelly, and she ran off into the desert, and the angel of the Lord met her there. And what he said to her was, return and submit. And Steve, I remember so clearly that week, the lecturer looking out at the crowd and saying to us, what is God calling you to submit to today? And I knew what he was calling to me to submit to, to submit to walking through loving and losing my daughter. 
And um, a couple other experiences I had were similar. That I knew God was calling me to submit. And um, there's one specific passage that's been especially helpful to me to understand what submissive prayer looks like, and that's actually in, in Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. I, I remember coming to this verse a few months after Hope's death. I was in a really low point of my grief. And when you come to Hebrews 5, 7, and 9, it describes Jesus at a very low point of grief. It says that with loud cries and tears, and it's talking about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. And it says, loud cries and tears, he cried out to the one who could save him from death, and that he was heard because he was a son, but that he learned obedience from what he suffered. And in that prayer, I see the epitome of submissive prayer. This Jesus who's crying out to the one who could do it a different way, and God says no to him. And so it says that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus submitted to the plan and purpose of God, even though it meant incredible suffering Mm -hmm. on his part. And so... The example of Jesus shows me what submissive prayer is all about, and it certainly showed it to me in context of my experiences with my losing my son and my daughter, and that was being willing to cry out to him about what I wanted, but learning obedience and submission from what that I suffered. Mm. Submissive prayer is about welcoming what he wants to do, rather than demanding that he do what I think is best. That is such a difficult thing. For so many of us, I think because we maybe don't really trust that what yes. God wants for us is what we're going to like. Oh, I think you've hit it exactly, Steve. You know, yeah, we, we can't submit to him if we think that what he's asking from us will only make us miserable. If we don't really, first, if we don't believe he loves us, mm-hmm. and if we don't believe that whatever he allows into our life, he's actually using as a tool for our ultimate good. I mean, if we don't believe those two things, we can't submit. That that would seem crazy. Right. You know, submission requires that we firmly believe that God loves us and that he's working in our lives for our ultimate good. And when we know that's true, we can do just what Jesus said. I love this in, in 1 Peter 2.24. It says, it says that he entrusted himself to the one who judges rightly. It's mm. talking about Jesus entrusting himself to God. And I love that because that's what, you and I want to be able to do, you know, because we know God does what is right. We can entrust ourselves to him, just hand over our lives to him, the lives of our children, the lives of all those whom we love, and say, God, I trust you to do what is right with us and with our lives and even with our deaths. Mm -hmm. But going back to what we said earlier, that's, I think, a lifetime process. God is is so wonderful, though, in the way he does this. At least in my life, he started with, Steve, trust me for this little thing. And to me, it was not that little. I look back on it, and I think, well, no big deal. But for a brand-new believer, it, it was big. And it seems as if he keeps asking us for more and more and more and more trust. And, you know, we say, God, I love you, and I trust you. And he says, okay. How about this one? How about mm-hmm. this trial? That's true in my life. I mean, recently my husband lost his job, and so people think of my husband and I of having been through the world's worst suffering in terms of losing two of our children, and certainly that that has been difficult. Right. Um, and I think sometimes when we suffer, there's a point in which we think, okay, I've had my share. Yeah. And so, God, I, you know, I deserve a free pass <laughs> from here on out. But, you know, Steve, it's the troubles in our lives that push us toward trusting him. Oh, I hate that lesson. And the truth is, the truth is, and I know this is true for you too, that you don't want to spend the rest of your life with your greatest spiritual adventures with God being behind you. Oh, you know, I never thought of that. But that is so true. Isn't that the truth? I mean, I... I want a, I want a, I want a fresh touch from him. I want a fresh experience with him. I want I want to know that he is working in my heart and in my life right now, not just that he did 7 years ago and 9 years ago. I want that now. Mm. And because I want that, that means I also have to open myself up to struggle and suffering because let's face it, that's the school. That's that's the method 
God uses to work in our lives most yeah. often yeah. is through struggle and difficulty and suffering. He has things to teach us in that that he just can't teach through any other method. And if we refuse to enter the school that he sets up for us through suffering, then we're basically saying to God, you know, I don't want you to be at work in my life. I don't want to, I don't want to know you any better tomorrow than I knew you yesterday. Mm. But of course we don't want to say that. We want to say to God, you know what? I want you to bring whatever you want to bring in my life that would cause me to depend on you more tomorrow than mm. I have yesterday. Right. Because I know it's in depending on you more that I come to know you more and enjoy you more. And that's what I want in my life. Yeah. All we want is mountaintop experiences. Except to have a mountaintop, you have to have a valley, don't you? I suppose so. That's just the way God works. I mean, you can't find anyone in Scripture... Uh, that God uses significantly and shows himself to in significant ways that didn't have to go through some suffering. So, you know, I don't know why we work so hard to avoid it, um, because it is the tool that God tends to use to draw us to himself. But as he does that, and as that draws us closer to him, the experience with him becomes so much more joyful and so much more rich. It has for me. You know, you mentioned earlier that Time Magazine did a story on my husband and I and our loss of our children, and um, I love the story. In fact, if people want to, they can go to my website at nancyguthrie.com and read the story that appeared in Time Magazine about our experience. And I love everything about the story. It's just an amazing story. But there's only one thing about it I didn't so much like, and that was the title. It's a very biblical title. You see this phrase used in Scripture and over and over again, and that's the phrase, when God hides his face. And, you know, Job uses that, the psalmist uses that. They use that to describe those periods in our lives when we feel like God has turned away from us. Yes. Uh, the circumstances in our lives are so difficult, it feels like God has turned away. But, you know, Steve, I guess the reason that I've never really liked that title is that that was not my experience. My experience has been that in the hardest, lowest places of my life, I haven't felt my God was turning away from me. But in fact, in those experiences, that's where I saw him more clearly than I ever had before. Mm. That's where he was really showing himself to me like I had never seen him before because I needed him so much and I was so desperate for him and I was looking for him and searching for who he is and how he works in his word. And it's been in these hard places of life that he has really shown himself to me most clearly. So many times, though, when people go through difficult times like that, that's when the enemy really attacks and makes people really uh, question and, and doubt whether God could even be there. God, how could you do this to me? You know, I've done this and thus for you, and, and how could this happen? So maybe you're not even there. You didn't experience that? You know what? I was fortunate, Steve, in that I had a firm foundation under my feet in terms of knowing God through His Word when this hit me. And it's not that those thoughts never went through my head, but there was something stronger and deeper in my head, and that was my knowledge of who God is by knowing Him through His Word. And I knew that He wasn't turning away from me, and neither did I have the expectation that because I was His follower that I shouldn't have to suffer which for some reason in Americanized Christianity, that's what we think. Yes. We think, okay, if I'm really faithful to God, then he'll give me this easy, comfortable life, rather than believing what Jesus said, which is, expect to suffer. In this world, you'll have tribulation. And he says to expect to suffer. We shouldn't be surprised by it. And so neither should we take it to mean when we suffer that he has turned away from us or that he wants to hurt us or that he's punishing us. None of those things. Uh, Jesus is at work in our lives in the midst of our suffering to show us some things about himself, to draw us to himself in ways that we never would have or could have without that suffering. So really, I think what you said there, too, is a a good reason that um, we should at all times be working on our spiritual fitness, as it were. Uh, we need to be ready when those challenges and those those trials, those difficulties come our way. You said that because you were so well-grounded, you didn't really succumb to the thoughts of doubt or, or questioning. You knew that God was there because well, I, you had learned that. 
Well, I think I experienced what Jesus was describing in the Sermon on the Mount when he described, remember, the wise man and the foolish man, the man who built his house on the sand mm-hmm. and the man who built his house on the rock. I remember after my daughter Hope's death going back to that story to figure out what was the real difference between them. Well, you know, what was the same and what was the different? And, you know, when you look at that story, they experienced several things that were same, the same. Um, for both of them, it says, and the word of the Lord came to. So it's almost like both the wise men and foolish men, like they were both sitting in church week to week. Mm-hmm. And the other thing they both experienced the same was the, the storm came to both. I mean, it wasn't lesser for one than the other. Mm-hmm. The storms of life came to both the wise man and the foolish man. But here was the big difference that I saw. For the wise man, when it says, and the word of the Lord came to, then it says, and he worked those words into his life. Or in another translation, it says, and he put those words into practice. But the foolish man didn't. The word of the Lord came to him, but he just disregarded it. Mm. So it's almost like he sat in church Sunday by Sunday, listening to the sermon, but really tuning it out, never letting it go deep into his life, never opening up his Bible during the week. Never going to God's Word to try to figure out how to apply what God says to his life and his circumstances. Mm -hmm. And because of that, because he had such a shallow understanding and experience with God, when the storm came, he was destroyed by it. And I would say that when the storm came in my life, it's not that I was unaffected by it. Not at all. Right. I have hurt deeply. But I wasn't destroyed by it, and my faith was not destroyed by it, because I did have that solid foundation underneath me, having worked God's Word into my life. Mm. What a story. What an experience. You have written a book. I've written several books. My first book is a book called Holding On to Hope, which I wrote um, actually during my pregnancy with uh, our second child who died, our son Gabriel. And that's that's an exploration of the book of Job, looking basically... I. I studied Job during Hope's life, and this book is my discoveries in the book of Job, going back to his story to figure out how it was that this godly man, Job, could suffer so significantly and question so boldly, and then emerge from his suffering with a life that was described as good and with a solid relationship with God. Because, you know, most of us, when we suffer, there's a sense in which we think life will never be good again. And I wanted to figure out what Job's secret was. And so that's what that book is. I've also written a daily devotional for people who are hurting and grieving called The One-Year Book of Hope. Um, I wrote a book that came out last year called um, Hoping for Something Better, which is a study uh, of the whole book of Hebrews. And then my husband and I have written a book together that just came out this month called When Your Family's Lost a Loved One. And it's a more practical book on how couples and families can come through grief with your family stronger and closer rather than allowing grief to push you apart. Excellent. Well, I just so happen to have uh, put those titles on the uh, the brand new LifeSpring store. So, uh, guys, you can go to the LifeSpring store and uh, pick up those books if you like. Excellent reading. Fantastic thoughts. I'm so sorry, in a way, that you had to go through these things, Nancy, but it's so good that God does use these things to draw us closer to Him, and you're allowing Him to use you to help walk people through these things. So, Thank you, Steve. That's just a, a privilege that He has given to me that I'm seeking to be faithful in. Amen. Well, Nancy, may God bless you richly. I am so honored that you came on the show today. And uh, guys, check out her website at nancyguthrie.com. You can uh, get the link on the show notes page at lifespringmedia.com. Again, it's just uh, been a real blessing talking to you, Nancy. Thanks so much, Steve. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
is my special friend Michelle Gold. You may remember that we interviewed Michelle right around uh, the beginning of the year, and I don't remember if it was December or January, but Michelle is going to be coming out to the New Media Expo and ministering at the worship service uh, with song and with uh, the word, and you can help make that happen. If you'll go to lifespringmedia.com and check out in the uh, right-hand sidebar, you'll see that there's a link that says New Media Expo Worship Service Fund. And Michelle is going to be flying all the way out to Las Vegas from Nashville, Tennessee. And, well, to be honest, she needs help. She needs financial help to pay for the airline tickets. So if you can help, if you'd like to help, go to LifespringMedia.com and click on that link that's under the category of interest. That'll take you to PayPal, and you can give whatever amount you want to give. Any amount will help, and uh, you can help to make the New Media Expo worship service come together and bless a lot of people. He'll take you up into the air where love is long and life is fair to heaven. I'd like to take another short little commercial break here and remind you about CovenantEyes.com. If you or someone you know has a problem with internet pornography, Covenant Eyes can help you to overcome it. Or if you have a child in the house, you want Covenant Eyes because studies show that the first exposure to hardcore pornography can be as young as five years old. CovenantEyes.com can help you to know what's going on and what websites are being accessed through all the computers in your home. I believe in Covenant Eyes. I've seen it work, and I know that the people there are good people. They care about this ministry. So check it out at CovenantEyes.com. And when you sign up, use the promo code LIFESPRING and you'll get your first 30 days for free. It's a great deal. And remember, you can win the war on internet porn. Get free, stay free with Covenant Eyes Accountability Software. And so now we come to the kids' corner. I love to see what little kids have to say when it comes to things of God and religion and the Bible and things like that. Listen to this one. It says, uh, the Sunday school teacher was describing how Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. When little Jason interrupted, he said, my mommy looked back once while she was driving and she turned into a telephone pole. And then another time, a Sunday school teacher was telling her class the story of the Good Samaritan. And she asked the class, if you saw a person lying on the roadside, all wounded and bleeding, what would you do? Well, a thoughtful little girl broke the hushed silence and said, I think I'd throw up. (laughs) And since our topic today was prayer, 
How about this one? A rabbi said to a precocious six-year-old boy, So, your mother says your prayers for you each night. That's very commendable. What does she say? The little boy replied, Thank God he's in bed. (laughs) Have you ever said that? I know I have with my kids. And then this one says, The pastor asked a little boy if he said his prayers every night. Well, yes, sir, the boy replied. The pastor said, And do you always say them in the morning, too? The boy replied, No, sir, I ain't scared in the daytime. (laughs) And little Johnny and his family were having Sunday dinner at his grandmother's house. Everyone was seated around the table as the food was being served. When little Johnny received his plate, he started eating right away. Johnny, please wait until we say our prayer, said his mother. Well, I don't need to, the boy replied. Well, of course you do, the mother insisted. We always say a prayer before eating at our house. (laughs) But this is Grandma's house, said Johnny, and she knows how to cook. Lifespring News. One thing you want to do is go on over to Lifespring.tv and check out the Chuck Norris video that's over there. Yes, I put a Chuck Norris video up, and it has to do with the gas crisis and how we might be able to bring down prices on gasoline. Uh, I, I never get political on this show, as you know, or very, 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 very seldom, but this gas crisis that we're going through and these ridiculous prices Somebody's got to do something about it. And I ran across this Chuck Norris video the other day, and I thought I might like to share it with you. So go head over to LifeSpring.tv and look for the Chuck Norris video. While you're there, you can also see that I've got lots of my church's sermons up there, and you can check those out too. And now, big doings at LifeSpring Media. LifeSpring Media is now LifeSpring Media Inc. Yes, we are incorporated. We're a 501c3 corporation, which is nonprofit religious, and we are working on getting the tax exempt status so that when you give gifts to LifeSpring Media to help support this ministry, those gifts will soon be, hopefully, if the government bureaucracy moves its wheels quickly, you'll soon be able to write your gifts off on your taxes. So that is extremely exciting for me. Also, another new development that we've got going at LifeSpring Media is most of you know that I used to work for one of the nation's largest Christian bookstore chains. I love books and I love Bibles. And the part I liked most about that job was recommending just the right book or just the right Bible to customers that came into the store. I mean, I really believe that there's a real and effective ministry in helping to put the right resource in the hands of people. Sometimes someone would come in who had just lost a loved one and they you know, were looking for a book that would speak to their grief. And so I would say, well, this book is really good from Chuck Swindoll or that book is really good from C.S. Lewis, or, you know, I I would talk to them and find out what was going on in their life, and I would give them a book that I thought would really minister to them. And lots of times they'd come in and they'd say, Steve, that was perfect. That was just what I needed. Or if they were a brand new Christian, and they'd say, I'm looking for a Bible. And they'd come into the store, and we'd have a whole wall full of Bibles. And, you know, golly, how do I know what to buy? Well, talking to the people, I would help to pick out the just the right Bible for them. And so I really enjoy that part of the business. What I have done is I have begun building the LifeSpring store at LifespringMedia.com where I have hand-selected every book that you'll see under the Steve's Picks section. On the front page of the store, you'll find books that relate to the latest LifeSpring show, and then there are different categories. And again, each title has been hand-selected by yours truly. So far, the categories are Bibles, Apologetics, Cults, Devotionals, Reference, and there's a section for those who may be struggling with internet porn, as you may remember from the last show, and there's a category for the LifeSpring Hymn Story show, too. I'll be adding more titles and more categories, so shop often. But here's the cool part. When you buy a book from the LifeSpring store, you're helping to support LifeSpring Media, and since the store is powered by Amazon, Your prices are going to be low, the service will be top-notch, and it's going to be just what you would expect from Amazon because you're buying from Amazon 
through the LifeSpring store. And check this out. Whenever you go to Amazon through the LifeSpring store, whatever you buy, whether or not it was in the LifeSpring store, it will help to support us. So please, when you want to buy from Amazon first, come to the LifeSpring store and then go into Amazon. And then whatever you buy will help us. You'll still get your great Amazon prices and your great service. And it's a win-win for everybody. And speaking of books, I want to give a very special thanks to Nancy Guthrie for being on the show today. Be sure to check out her website at nancyguthrie.com, and you can buy her books from the LifeSpring store. Today's music was Carrie Crocker, Michelle Gold, and we're going to end the show today with Recent Rainfall. Now, you'll be able to find links to that music on the show notes page, of course, at lifespringmedia.com. But before we leave, I want to uh, say a special thanks to the sponsors of Lifespring Media. First, there's Covenant Eyes, and remember, you'll get 30 days free when you use the promo code LIFESPRING at covenanteyes.com. And I want to thank our brand new sponsor, 1-800-PETMEDS, where you'll get 10% off of their already low prices, plus free shipping on any order over $39 when you use the promo code LIFE. Hey, remember, if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at steve.lifespring at gmail.com. I'd love to get your email, but better yet, I'd love to actually hear from you when you call the toll-free listener comment line at 877-433-9091. Call up there, leave a toll-free message for me, and you just might hear yourself on the LifeSpring Show. Today we're going to end the show with recent rainfalls. Bless and keep you. And that's my prayer for you as we close the show off today. Till next time, my name is Steve Webb. God bless you. May the peace of God which passes understanding Guard your heart and mind May you know the joy of life that's everlasting And celebrate the love of Jesus Christ May the Lord bless and keep you And cause His face to shine upon you
enjoyed this program. Will you consider helping to support LifeSpring Media? Details are at lifespringmedia.com. Thank you.